Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... And Mayu. What's going on, everybody? Austin. <laughs> we're back to you on a Friday. I guess that's our new schedule. <laughs> yeah, I think we're sticking to Fridays. It gives us more, more leniency during the week for our, our last minute schedules. And, and look, we're, we're trying to, you know, I think schedule more people, get more recordings done in advance, something that we really need to improve on. Like we said on social media, if you guys are, are looking to jump on the Rise podcast, shoot us a message with what you do and, uh, you know, just expressing your interest and we'll definitely consider you guys. I think we have like a couple of guests booked up for the next few weeks or we're working on it. So we sent out quite a bit of emails. One thing that we're going to focus on doing better, which we actually did last year quite well, but then we didn't re-up on it. Is just we build a vault of episodes and that's how most yeah. podcasts uh, most podcasters go, they build a vault of episodes and then truly the preamble they record the week off, which is super manageable, right? You talk about current events and what's going on, but the actual episode itself, it's usually filmed months in advance. So we are going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. We essentially do it and then we stop recording for a little bit and then we get lazy and then we jump back into it. We tried it and then, and then we get stuck in a game of playing catch up. Right. So we just got to do a better job of staying on top of it. Are you going to ask me what's going on with me? I was like thinking about it. I'm like, what's going on with you, Austin? I was like, do I, should I ask him or not? <laughs> That's none of your business anymore. You know, like I, I feel like I my, I don't like this relationship where I feel like I have to drag you to, to, to ask this question. Um, yeah. On my side of things, I um, wish you didn't ask that question. <laughs> it's the same as usual. So on the wholesaling side, um, it's always been fun. There's uh, the, we had a deal where the seller was going to back out. The closing got delayed a day, but um, the acquisitions manager was on it. We worked out a solution with the seller. Um, the buyer, fortunately, was very cooperative throughout the entire process. They were just figuring out like what legal route we could or would need to take, communicating with the seller directly. Because here's the here's the thing, right? Like, whenever you negotiate, your lawyers go to worst case scenario. They're the worst negotiators. Notor- our lawyers are notoriously known for like just pushing to the extremes, right? And it's always a loose situation when you go to them. So we we expressed that to the seller. We let them know, like, hey, look, I mean, we can go to the lawyers, but we prefer not. It's going to be a lose-lose on both of our ends, right? It's going to cost us thousands of dollars. We just want to resolve something with you. And by 6 p.m., got the seller to change their mind about refusing to close. And wow. they decided to close the next day. Um, and they lived in the house. So they moved in with their sister. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the buyer got their deal. And uh, it was a win-win-win situation for everyone. But it was a couple of hurdles that was stopping the buyer. And it was just, not buyer, sorry, seller. And it was just communicating and finding out what the problem was. It wasn't price. Generally, when it's price, there's, it's not too much you can do about it. It becomes more of a legal dispute. Yeah. Or it could be a problem not directed with prices. Like, okay, like how do we go about solving these problems? Unfortunately, it was the latter. So we're able to work that what, out. What was, uh, what was the issue? Um, yeah, I think like he was just, he, he was just thinking like, oh man, like I don't, I don't have everything packed up oddly enough. Like I still, he still had things left over in the house. I don't know why he thought that would be an issue and didn't just ask us, but yeah. he, he, he treated that as a way to like, oh, maybe I just won't close altogether. Cause I'm not ready <laughs> to move. Right. I was like, look, look, we're willing to cooperate. We'll help you move your stuff. We'll leave stuff in that house for you. So you can come and take your time, pick up and 
bring it to your new place slowly. We can push closing. Um, we can do uh, any number of things to cooperate, right? Mm. And then we paid for a couple of things for him to help facilitate kind of the transition to make his life easier. But the guy was not, yeah, he's just very antsy and <laughs> just small things like that. You think that's crazy, right? Yeah, Why would yeah. someone back out of a deal for that? But you're dealing with off-market sellers and a lot of people, yeah. again, would push to the extremes. That's not how you get uh, issues resolved. Just imagine how many issues real. I, I guess you guys are replacing the realtor, right? And you're replacing the realtor on both sides, the buyer side and the seller side, which, which is what makes it interesting. So I'm not going to ask what's going on with you because today's podcast episode is going to be all about you. Similar to the last episode, if you guys haven't checked it out already, Mayu and I are doing a bit of a catch up. It's been about what, like a year and a half around yeah. there, maybe. Yeah, probably. Um, since we... Yeah, since we've done like a one-on-one episode where we really dig down into each other's journey, a lot has changed since we've done that. Uh, and I know a lot has changed with your business, but we're going to start off with that general question as we always do. For those who don't know Mayu, who don't know who you are, I don't know why you would be listening to the podcast if you don't know Mayu already. Give a high level, just super high level of some of the things you accomplished in real estate. Yeah, so so real estate investors sitting at just over, I think around like fifty units. Uh, we are selling some off in the coming coming months. Um, we're selling off, uh, what is that, five or six units? I think in total. It's all surprisingly with one JV partner. The ones that we're selling off. Uh, so I've got properties in Windsor. I've got uh, two really in, in the GTA. Not a whole lot left here. New Brunswick, Kirkland Lake, and Sudbury. So I started off in real estate investing. I was a CA for a long time, worked in the audit life for way too long, migrated out of there. And I'm now a mortgage agent and I also flip real estate. So I've flipped, I think four houses, no, maybe it was three, I, something like that last year. Um, so I call that kind of like my hobby is just flipping mortgages is essentially my full-time business. Also private lending a little bit here and there, and now entry into kind of the Airbnb space this year. So. That's my rundown, man. <laughs> awesome. So you're doing a little bit of everything. We already knew that you were a burn investor. So I don't want to go dig down too much into that. Since we last spoke, don't remember how many units you had, but um, do, do you remember yeah. how many units you had since you last I spoke? Feel like, like I feel something? like it was maybe like 18 or 20, 25, something like that. Yeah. Because okay. last year I closed an eight plex, a seven plex and a nine plex, right? So that alone puts me at 24 units. So that, that kind of adds up, right? Um, that I was probably sitting at about half the last time we did it or something. Yeah. So let's walk through your journey last year. There was a lot of milestones you had. You quit your job, the mortgage business and uh, acquiring multifamilies of that scale, which you haven't done before. Um, let's, let's start with the decision of leaving your full-time job and walk me through that a bit, what you did to prepare for that and how things have been since. Yeah. It was honestly more so as a result of necessity, right? So I, I used to work in the big four in audit for a very long time, transitioned into government because I thought, you know what, this is going to be a pretty chill nine to five. Quickly learned I was wrong. A lot of kind of micromanagement was going on, right? Where every like half an hour to an hour, they'd go like, hey, like, what are you working on? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So that was the first manager that I worked with in government. And that doesn't work for me, right? Because midway through the day, I'm talking to contractors. I'm checking out real estate deals. I'm trying to make offers, right? And then if someone asked me half an hour later, Hey, what, like, what's your progress been at work? It's been nothing. Like I basically did nothing for the last half an hour. Right. And then I luckily I switched into another manager's team, but you start to like feel bad, right. Where it's like, if I'm not working from nine to five, like I really shouldn't be here. I honestly thought I would get laid off, but it's government. So you don't get laid off. And I eventually just went, you know what, like I got to leave and I'd rather work in something that I'm passionate about. 
right? So flipping started off probably in um, probably after the last time we did my first episode, right? So right after that, you and I did a wholesale together. And then I closed my first flip in Belleville, right? That was really the very first one that I bought with the intention of flipping. So that one, I think we were like about to make like 80 or 90K. I don't remember the exact numbers now from that one flip. And then I'd close a property in tiny Ontario where forecasted profit was called another like 80 or 90K as well there, right? So in total, it was going to be about 160 to 180K just from flipping two properties. And that was between me and a partner. So it was split half up. So basically 90K for me. At that time, my salary was about 110, I think. So for me, it was like, okay, like if I can cover my basic needs from these two flips, right? And I, I was going to entry way into coaching and stuff like that. Um, so I was going to have a little bit of cash at least right there. And I was like, I've now got basically like my full days available. I can 100% either from mortgages or doing something else, earn more than what I was earning at my day job was kind of my logic, right? Hey, hey, and hey, so- here's the thing. I'm going to stop you right there. You didn't know you could earn more in your mortgages. We had so many true, conversations true. where you're freaking <laughs> the fuck out on getting clients. And Jacob Perez, who was on this podcast, uh, he's the co-owner, I believe, of Synergy Mortgages. Yeah. And even myself, I told you, man, like there's going to be a pretty influx of, of clients going your way because the branding <laughs> that you focused on over the past two years, right? Yeah. Um, so it still was a leap of faith in, in, <laughs> in your head. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. For sure, it was a leap of faith. I think I had figured out a way. And uh, honestly, I was flush with cash, right? So we sold off a condo at Young and Angleton that had a shit ton of cash in it. Um, I sold off a year before that another property in the GTA, we had refinances coming in. Like I was probably at a, I was sitting on like well over like three, 400 K and like cash coming in and out. Right. So that, that gave me confidence as well. Right. And so I, I quit my job and uh, I, I entered into the mortgage world. And I also started coaching under Corey McKinnon at that time. Um, and I was handling some of the sales calls, different kind of sources of income that I basically rolled out to essentially replace my job. And yeah, that, that that's kind of, I think the decision-making process there. Gotcha. So it was like, I think that covered the first half, which is like your active income sources. So the mortgage side is your main one by coaching. You're not a student. Let's clarify. You're an actual coach that yeah. has students under you. So you have another source of income there. The mortgage side obviously blew up a lot more than you were anticipating. So I just True. quickly want to touch a bit about that. You have a ton of clients, obviously. A lot of my buyers and Wayland's buyers from Ontario Property Deals, they end up working with you as well. How was that kind of transition like? Because you're good with numbers, but it's a different sort of business altogether. And what have you learned and what are you going to be doing differently this year? I'm I'm really happy with my choice to A. This isn't like to, to pitch Jacob or anything like that. Right. But joining their brokerage, it was definitely a good call just from how they trained me as a new broker. Right. So most mortgage brokers coming into the industry come in from like the, the financial services space, right? Like you work as a teller, then you like move up to FSR, like various fluctuations of that. Right. And then they move into being an independent mortgage broker. My thing was I came in as an accountant, right? I knew really nothing about this entire world. So Jacob and them, they had a model where you can split your, your fees, right? And you can essentially work with a more experienced underwriter. And that's what I did for a long time, right? And I, I kept doing it until it got to a point where Jacob was like, Mayu, we're letting you go from this program. Because like, you're just taking up too much of our time from the underwriting perspective. Because I had deals coming in and I loved using um, the underwriters at Synergy because it, it, it made my job super easy. I could rely on more experienced people, right? 
Um, and he's like, dude, you know everything you need to know. So I did that basically for like four months and it allowed me to essentially leverage more experienced people's knowledge. Um, sure, I gave up a good chunk of the, the commissions that I'd earned, right? But it, it kind of got me that shortcut that I needed to ensure that I could still service people that were coming to me and trusting me with their business, right? And what was your question, man? I totally forgot what it was. Like, what, what are you planning to do now? Because I know yeah. the first couple of months, it was just like day and night for you. You went to, what was it, Dubai and traveling and you were just, you were suffering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so um, as, as part of the joining Synergy, I also have like consultations with Jacob every like two weeks. I, I've got one right after this podcast, actually, right? And Jacob from the beginning was like, my, you got to hire. I'm like, why, Jacob? Like, I think I can handle this myself. Like, and he's like, no, man, like, I can see the influx that's happening and like the growth that you're having. And he's like, you got to hire now, right? And I just kind of dragged my feet with it. And so that essentially resulted to me being on vacation and like, just like working like night shifts, right? Because Dubai would be like, um, I think like if I work from 10 p.m. in Dubai to like 3 a.m. in Dubai, um, that gets most of my banking hours here in, right? And, and as a mortgage agent, you really have to work when the banks are open, right? So that was a struggle, but I did just, uh, I'm in the process of finalizing my hire for the first individual. It took me a while, um, but you finally got the employment contract drafted up and then having uh, them start kind of in early February. And really, so the plan for the mortgage business is to blow it up. Uh, I've had luckily had consistent growth, a lot of repeat business, and that's a benefit of servicing like 90% of my clients are all investors, right? So a lot of people are repeat buyers, right? They buy one property and then they'll hit me up in like two, three weeks and be like, dude, I just bought another one. Help me figure out how and to close like, it. I want to refi <laughs> like, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And honestly, refis aren't as lucrative. And I know there's things that I could be doing to, to make it more lucrative, but ultimately like I'd rather just get people into a good product, get them in finance and then play the long game with it, right? Where eventually if you do good by people, your reputation will continue to bring in more referrals and more referrals, and more referrals, right? So hiring my first person there, planning, hope, hoping if my trajectory keeps up, if the market keeps up the way it is, probably be hiring my second person probably in the second half of this year. Um, could be sooner. Right. Uh, but to be like quite frank with people, I initially thought last year I'd probably generate like 50 K in revenue from mortgages. Right. Like that, that was how like pessimistic I was about like my targets. That's how conservative I was. And like, it's, it's easily like four X that, right. Like very easily. And um, with like revenue splits and all that stuff factored in, it was a good, like, good year last year in six months of the year, I probably I definitely earned way more than I earned from my day job from an entire year. And it's been nice and lucrative. Yeah, absolutely. So the big thing with these sort of commission-based work is, is like having the brand, the reputation that people actually rely on and trust, which is what you spent the last couple of, not last couple of months, like the year plus building prior to making that decision. So obviously that was a worthwhile investment for you. Now let's dig down into the flipping side of things. So you have your mortgage business going, nice stable income, and now you're flipping. Um, so yeah. walk me through your decision and flipping. And we chatted about this in the previous podcast as well, but enlighten people on why you're deciding to go cash on your flips. Like where are you planning to take it? Are you bringing more private financing? Like just, just walk me through your entire thought process on flips in general and what you've accomplished yeah. so far. Yeah. A big part of it, like I said earlier, is I was sitting on a lot of cash, right? So for me, it didn't make sense to bring in private money. My flipping strategy is full gut reno houses. So traditionally they will not qualify for traditional bank financing anyways. The second thing is I like flipping cheap real estate. Even as an investor, I've never been, Hey, let me invest in like, when we talk about Windsor, I would be like, no, South Windsor, the most expensive part of Windsor pass, right? I'd rather be on the cheap side. And then even within like the different real estate classes, like detached houses, you could have 
like single family houses. You could have beautiful ones. You could have gigantic ones and you could have the puny ones. I'd be the guy that would buy the puny ones, right? Because I like owning the bottom, what I call the bottom one third of real estate, right? So whatever, even if you're going to buy condos, you could buy a penthouse, you could buy a three bedroom condo, or you could buy a one bedroom condo. I would buy a one bedroom condo, right? Similarly with flips, I would prefer to buy assets that are under kind of three to 400K in capital, right? So between me and my flipping partner, we'd basically put up the capital that would be required to close that flip in all cash, right? The main benefit there is you internalize the private lender's margin, right? So I also do a good amount of private lending. So by being able to internalize that margin, it gives you a more buffer. It artificially makes your flips more profitable, right? Because the reality is, I could just private lend my money out. So there's an opportunity cost, but you could honestly say that with anything, whether it's real estate investments, whether it's flipping, whether it's hoteling, anything, there's an opportunity cost, everything, right? But while I had the cash, it made my flips much more manageable. It was kind of a hobby business, not something that I was super dedicated and focused towards, but it, it was it was nice and lucrative. So no complaints there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a risk adjusted return to going full time into this thing, like and your mortgage business just taking off your mortgage, you get paid on closing, which is like 30 to 60 days, sometimes 90 days. Yeah. I guess you wanted to minimize your risk and let's say you lost all of that money. It's not like you're bankrupt, right? You still have all your assets and you have other things to keep afloat. Has your mindset changed since then going into 2022, you want to do more flips. What's the plan there? Because most people who do 10 plus flips are funding through private. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to fund through, through private as well. The goals changed a little bit, right? So, so last year we, we did a flip in Belleville. Then we did a flip in tiny Ontario. Then we did a flip in Chesley, Ontario. And then the last one that we closed at the end of the year was in Prince Edward County, right? So um, Belleville and Prince Edward County are, are close together. Uh, my flipping partner has some business in Belleville, right? So, so we're trying to stay central to the East end of Ontario for our flips moving forward, just so it's a little bit easier, build out that core team of trades and, and contractors and stuff like that even realtors, et cetera, stagers, all that kind of stuff, and then expand more so geographically probably next year, right? So for this year, we're going into sourcing our own deals, I think is, is going to be a focus area. And the overall goal just being we source our own deals, we'll be able to essentially afford more private while maintaining the same profit margin, right? So that's that's a big change. We are trying to do, um, we're trying to close a flip every month or every 45 days, really. So it's kind of like every month which will set us up to kind of exit about six to eight flips in the year. The flipping goal hasn't changed, right? It's just like 200K in flips for me, 200K for him, 400K from the business as a whole, right? That goal hasn't really changed. I don't really want to to make this into like a a million dollar net business. I'm sure it's possible, but the risks associated with that are huge, right? This kind of profit margin to me is very manageable. And I very much kind of view my life as like, I don't think I could do any one thing as like just that one thing, right? So flipping doesn't take time, at least right now for me, right? I go up there once when we buy the property, once midway through and once near the end. Um, other than that, we've got good contractors, and, and good teams. Is it the contractors or your partner all gets active? Like how is, but, how yeah. is managing that? Yeah, my, my partner is definitely much more operational and, and much more active on that. So he'll handle a lot of like the materials ordering. I'll handle the labor and like the the overall vision for it, right? And then really but like it is both of us that, that make the calls of like what property to buy, but I'll make sure I try and find properties to buy. And even now sourcing our own deals, which is where it will take a little bit more time. That's essentially on me as well. Right. So it's, it's a good partnership in the way that we structured it in that sense, um, which allows me to kind of keep that business going and growing. Right. Okay. And to minimize the cost you'll be paying for private financing, 
are you going 80% loan to value, 100%? Like, what's that kind of logic like? And, and yeah. rentals as well. Yeah, no, we, we pay for our own rentals. Um, we, we both have a decent amount of capital, which helps us for sure, right? So we always pay for our own rentals and we'll be going under 80% loan to value for sure, right? So kind of that sweet spot of where can you get optimal private financing terms? It's usually around 70 to 75% loan to value. And that's where you can minimize your lender fees as well. Um, now we're still going to close some properties in cash and we're going to close some properties with private, right? So really it's just spreading out the capital over more properties. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, a flip a month, what does that entail in terms of employment or having people to manage? Because even if your partner's taking on the operational side, it could be pretty stressful to, to manage 12 ongoing as, especially when you know things always go wrong. <laughs> but it's, it's not going to be 12 ongoing projects at the same time in an ideal world. Right. So the one thing you can't really control is when do deals close, right? As much as like, Oh, one flip every single month, the reality is you're going to have two to three months where there's a bunch of closings, one or two months where there's nothing. Right. So there are going to be pain points involved with that. Now my, my partner's role is more so like once the renovation is done, it comes to me. Right. And I'm the one that has to handle the realtor, handle the negotiations, buy and sell comes to me in between core operation on the renovation. That's what he, he kind of specializes in. So there will be pain points likely, and we will need to hire likely. We'll let the pain emerge where it emerges and hire based on that. Right. Cause project managers is really all you need for a flip, right? Um, you incentivize one individual with the right profit splitting model, um, and you can bring in a project manager as needed. So that's exactly, overall, like yeah. that's a flipping business. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that sounds good. And, uh, seems like you guys kind of have a plan in motion and acquiring property is going to be, it's going to be fairly difficult over the next year. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of bidding that's with true. wholesale. That that's is- why you got to source. Yeah. I mean, are you hiring an acquisitions manager? What's going on there? Like, how are you going to plan to do that? I am the acquisition manager, Austin. <laughs> for now, for so now. You're, you're going to be taking your own phone calls. That's the, I am, why are you for, taking for now, all like, these like, leads? Until we can systematize the business, right? So, so that was me in the mortgage business as well. And even in that business, like I'm bringing in someone to handle the back end, right? Like document fulfillment. Like we're working on one of your deals right now, right? So then I could handle, I want to actually just talk to my mortgage clients. I want to talk about the deals that they're buying. I want to talk about how we can plan out the next couple of acquisitions. That's the stuff that I enjoy, right? Yeah. Similarly for the flipping, I will handle the inbound calls for now. It's being scheduled so that once I bring in the employee on my mortgage business, I could essentially allocate more time towards handling inbound calls as well, right? So it's being scheduled like that. And, and then the goal is once you do one successful proof of concept on the wholesaling off-market acquisition, then bring in someone and be able to train them as well, right? I view my life as, I, I think, you know, if you can get to kind of seven streams of income overall, like in, in life, like that would be my ideal kind of entrepreneurship journey. Right. So all of this is kind of leading up to that, whether it's private lending as one stream of income, real estate was as sure it can be one stream of income, mortgages, uh, one primary stream of income, but still a stream of income, right? Flipping one stream of income and then whatever other businesses that we continue to acquire, that's how I like rise could be a stream of income. Like there's different things that could all just be different streams of income. And that's what I find fun. Right. Speaking of businesses, you have a business real estate that you've just acquired yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to, I'm not sure how deep you want to go into that because I know it's still, it still, uh, hasn't closed yet. You're working through financing and all of those things, but, uh, why don't you share with the world? I don't think you have announced it formally yet. So those who are tuning in, it's going to be exciting, exciting news. Yeah. yeah. So this is what I'll say. I, I think we, we had uh, Jordan Clements on this podcast, I think a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know when, 
but he's uh he was hosting a resort uh so it's 16 cabins and a primary residence cottage that we basically acquired me my like myself and two other partners right so there's three of us on the deal all three active all three capital it's very much a very active business model right so it's a uh, basically a resort uh, business that was running at about 40% occupancy, 40 to 45% occupancy, right? Not on Airbnb. All of his revenue comes organically through his own website. Uh, the guy was just very anti Airbnb. Like we asked him like, why aren't you on Airbnb? And he's just like, ah, like, nah, like, nah, I don't like it. Like just like, just like shrugged off a bunch of our questions. Right. Um, does a lot of like cash business. It's got a banquet hall on it, which is dope, but the banquet hall could be seriously turned around and can seriously generate way more revenue than it does. He currently rents it out for like $1,500 an event or something like that. Right. And it can fit a hundred people. Like there's so many like different revenue generating potential items, the primary residence, he lives in it, but that could easily be an Airbnb. Right. So I think as it is, it was, I don't remember what his um, net income is off the top of my head, but he's owned it for the last two years. And that kind of sucks because he owned it in 2020 when we were in lockdown for like half the year. Right. Um, so he bought it. He, oh, he didn't own it for too long then. Interesting. He, he bought it at the end of, he, he bought it at the end of 2018. Um, he bought the previous seller was like, he just like ran to the ground. So like, just like really bad condition. This guy bought it. He's, he's very handy. Right. So he improved a lot of the cabins and stuff like that. Spent a lot of money on this. He's netting like $2 million out of this easy. Right. Um, two or $3 million. So 2.5, whatever. But like he, he improved the overall cabins, the, the quality of them. He got occupancy rates up from when he bought it, right? So his net income was starting to go up and then COVID hits and he gets locked down for six months of the year. And then he had like personal family issues and stuff like that. So he just wanted out of the business, right? And and I mean, it's not a bad payday as well, right? So um, we got it from him. Um, we're hiring, uh, we had hired three employees for it. One, one employee called us last night and said, they're not going to be willing to onboard right now. But once we take over on ownership, because we wanted them to onboard right now, to essentially learn as much as, as we could from the seller before he he's gone. Right. But they said, you know what, the seller is way too difficult to work with. And um, they're going to come back once we essentially take over and that'll be an additional revenue stream. And it'll be a shit ton of fun, to be honest. Right. Like it's something different. It's something new. It's something exciting. I wanted to get into Airbnb and um, I saw this as a shortcut to, you could either build up one by one by one, or you just acquire a portfolio like this. And it's, it takes away a lot of pains. Right. Yeah, no, that seems very exciting. I'm just on the website right now. And he's honestly, for someone who's <laughs> not that sophisticated, he's done a decent job, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's sure. messed a lot of opportunity. Um, as you were saying, Airbnb, that my mind is blown. So when you're doing your analysis and running your numbers and making the purchase price, I'm sure he's not doing it based on potential. Whereas an no. unmotivated seller will price based on the potential of Airbnb and all of that. So you obviously got it at a discount because the business is not fully optimized yet. So there's a lot of spread to be made in the business. Um, when buying something like that, what kind of analysis goes in the back end? What are some things that you're learning along the way? Because this is a big purchase. And actually, what's also the purchase price uh, of the property, yeah. if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so it's total acquisition price is $4.8 million. That's broken down into a 300K wholesale fee. My new my new highest wholesale fee that I've paid, which is very exciting. Um, new uh, 300K for that, uh, $4.5 million. It's structured differently for tax purposes, right? So we won't go into like how we structured it between the primary residence and the cabins and stuff like that. But I looked at it purely as, okay, $4.8 million for 16 cabins, right? That means 300K per cabin. Each cabin is waterfront, right? It's kind of structured in a U. 
right? So they all share access to a private beach. So that way under market value on a price per cabin perspective. Now these aren't huge five bedroom like cabins. These are like two bedroom, three bedroom cabins, which are still pretty decent, right? But still, still waterfront. <laughs> still waterfront, still decent, private beach, right? A lot of things working out for it, right? Then the other thing that I looked at was banquet hall on it. It's not a crazy banquet hall, but way underperformed. Basically just has like three or four like weddings per year. He's really starting to focus on it. The previous seller before him didn't really do much with that banquet hall. Primary residence cabin, that's probably worth like 900 grand in there, right? Um, that's just kind of being thrown in, right? So there's a lot of different things to look at from that perspective. And then you look at the numbers, right? Um, the problem with the numbers is he takes a good amount in cash, Right. And then the other problem is that 2019 and or 2020 was a pretty bad year, right? So from a financing perspective, you got to go into this really just knowing you might not get the ideal financing terms on the buy, right? So what amount of private money can a business like this support, right? What amount of money are we willing to put in? And the seller was also offering a $1 million BTB at 5%, right? So you kind of factor all that stuff in and go, can this business carry itself? And how much more capital do I need to inject? I'll just say that like it is a significant amount of capital, which is why we have three partners on it, all active. I'm personally forecasting a significant bleed in year one, right? Just to kind of fund the growth, fund the capital expenditures that's needed. But year two, if we use any numbers from any, for anyone that doesn't know, if you want Airbnb data, just go on AirDNA. It's not the best tool, but it gives you kind of like an overall average for the market. And averages are skewed a lot by really high performers and really low performers as well, right? But when we looked at it, we figured we could at least get to like a 60% occupancy, right? Um, with very reasonable, small kind of changes. And then the daily rate was something like 30%, I think, under what Airbnb indicated like the average daily rate should be, right? So not only can you improve occupancy, but you can improve the daily rate on the revenue side, right? So year one is going to be a lot of just focus on revenue. Forget about expenses, like expense out, like, out your ass, right? Like everything can just be like, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of expenses incurred but focus on getting revenue up year two, we can focus on getting expenses down. Right. Yeah. So I, I want to chime into that, um, man, like again, like it's just such a huge missed opportunity there for you. Like the easiest thing is increasing revenue. I think like what he's doing is basically off market. Like you only know of this business via referral when you're selling on yeah. Airbnb, it's like an on market, right? Like everyone has access to it. So you mentioned some changes you needed to make that, according to your projections, one year bleed, what are those changes? And yeah. like, what is that bleed? Because he's like, what, like, what, what are the numbers? Like, are you just estimating that there's not going to be much revenue the first year? And if so, why not? If you're just going to transition to Airbnb? Yeah, I should actually just pull up. This, I guess I could, I could pull up the package, but um, to put it in perspective, year one, I think uh, there, there's got to be some systems that change, right? So he's a very old school guy. He's just done a lot of the work himself obviously not going to work. He lives there. Well. <laughs> he lives there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's doing a lot of the work himself and it's just not going to work out for us. Right. So like when you think about like Augusta, Augusta locks so that guests can kind of personally access the unit themselves, he doesn't do that. Right. He literally meets them, gives them the key, a lot of that kind of stuff. Right. Even with cleaning, like there could be, there will be like capital expenditures needed so that you can wash 16 units of laundry at the same time, rather than he's got like a normal, like washer dryer. Right. Um, which can't handle like heavy loads. And it's like really not meant for commercial purposes. Right. Well, I um, can for 30% occupancy of 40%, whatever. He was yeah. Saying. Yeah. And then honestly, the, the other thing is just going to be like the way he books right now is you can book through his website, I believe, but you can also like call in to take, like to make bookings. Right. And so like, obviously if you give someone a telephone number, 
they're going to call in. Right. So he just like sits there and like answers the phone and then he'll go, Hey, like, if you don't want to like, but like, if you want like 10% off, come and pay in person in cash, right? Like shit like that, that we're going to have to stop. Um, so a lot of it is going to be legitimizing the business, um, taking it onto the Airbnb platform for a subset of cabins at the same, at first. And then really the remainder will kind of transition. So this is something that we'll, we'll talk about more later on as the podcast evolves. It's something that I don't want to get into now because the seller is very anti Airbnb. So as much as I say Airbnb, if, if he hears it, just know that, you know, it's an idea. It's not, it might not come to fruition <laughs> and uh, who knows, we might be able to do some cool events out there as well. Right. Like that banquet hall literally has space for like a thousand people. They're sleeping for like 80 people or something like that as is. Um, so there, there's huge potential down there. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So that's super exciting. You're already getting into the business space. Um, you have your flipping going on. The mortgage is going to be hopefully automated soon. And then now we're, we're, we're going a bit long, but let's talk a little bit about the multifamily space and mm-hmm. acquisitions, traditional real estate. Yeah. What's going on in, in, that, uh, in, in that space? Quickly highlight what you've done over the past year and what you plan to do going forward. So I'll be honest, from a real estate investing, long-term investing perspective, I'm actually very happy with the amount of assets and the total value of the assets that I control. Um, the only thing that I am definitely going to do is as properties that I've bought with JV partners sell off, I will buy, right? Um, I'm most likely going to buy solely and I might buy with joint venture partners, but it really just depends. So I, I'm going to make sure I own at least 50 units. And the way I look at it is I look at my total assets that I own, right? It's just the asset value, not obviously factoring in the mortgages. And I just look at it as if I was to retire today with zero debt, would I be happy with this amount of capital, right? So let's just make up like an arbitrary number here. Let's just call it $5 million, right? So if the total assets under management is $5 million, not including primary residence, because I mean, that doesn't really count, right? Would I be happy? And if the answer is at a 4% withdrawal rate, that would get me about $200,000 a year, then the answer is yes, right? So then I look at it as, do I need to uh, invest aggressively? No. Right. But as I sell off assets, I will make sure I rebuy assets at the same time. Right. That's how I really look at real estate investing right now. It's just, um, you know, if, if I have $5 million in 30 years, that's probably going to be, I don't know, call it worth like 10, $15 million. Who really knows. Right. Um, but I just call that like an inflation adjustment. Right. So and I can only really assume based on today's living expenses, if I had $5 million, I'd be happy. And in the future, real estate will inflation adjust to whatever number I need at that point in time for me to be sufficient. Right. I will acquire on an inflation adjustment. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. What was it? 7%. I think you're saying seven, right? Uh, the U S they reported. 7%. Oh, the US, I don't yeah. know if the Canadian it's one crazy. came out yet, but should be it's give or fucked. take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I will be investing in real estate. Um, so me and my wife and uh, we're, we're planning to get more into the Airbnb side, um, acquire a couple of properties that we can continue to utilize for Airbnb. I really want to hold on to the Prince Edward County flip, but um, their rules make it pretty difficult out there to, to, to justify the Airbnb side. But that is a focus for us, right? Like turn more units into Airbnbs, buy properties for the sole purpose of Airbnb, um, just a different business venture and something that honestly, I think is a good way for my wife to get involved in the business. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems like kind of your, your overall growth in acquisitions, it's focused on a cash flow sort of motto now and your actual portfolio and equity you're satisfied with. So if you were to hold what you wanted until retirement, you're totally good with it. Now it's just like, all right, like let's build that cash reserve now and yeah. and get multiple businesses to six figures, ideally passive over the long term. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I sat down and I thought about this, right? I'm like, like, how do I get to like a million dollars net a year? Right. Do I want that in one business? Maybe it's, probably it's possible, <laughs> but it probably don't. Right. Exactly. Right. So I'd rather have that between the sweet number I think is four, right? You want seven streams of income four probably more significant, um, two fifty K net per business, right. Or some variation of that. Some might be at a hundred, some might be at three, 400. Right. Um, and that's the route that I see myself going down. And that's really my focus, man. Right. Like, I think it's very achievable in my opinion, in a short period of time. Yeah, I know how long and stuff, but (laughs) But yeah, exactly. (laughs) And especially when you're in the real estate realm, like there's so many opportunities that we run across because that cottage, that kind of cottage business that you're in, yes, it's a business first, but it's also an asset and it's an opportunity that you might not have run across if you're solely, let's say you're in the traditional finance sense of finding businesses, right? You're competing against things like, um, I don't know, like your traditional sort of service business, which yours is, but I guess it's, it's real estate focused as well. And that's pretty awesome. So you're leveraging your networks and connections that you already have already. So it's not like you're starting from scratch. You're just taking that next step forward and building the connections and getting, getting connected with people who might sell businesses within kind of the real estate realm. Yeah, exactly. And I'll even say this, uh, the two partners that I have on the resort, um, one was originally partnered with us in Windsor on some like single family, like townhouse stuff. I own my new, my stuff in New Brunswick with them. And then that partnership has now evolved into let's buy a business together. Right. So a lot of it is like you said, stuff that you do at the small scale, which can evolve into bigger transactions if you work well together. Right. And, and there's obviously shortcomings on all side. Right. But there's multiple things that you can do with individuals that you just meet at networking events and stuff like that as well. Right. So I think it's a huge part of it. So that's, that's awesome. I, we touched into a little bit of everything you have going on. I think you're uh, uh, well on track to hit your seven different streams of income. I'm very impressive. And again, it just shows that it's possible in a short period of time, right? You just got to stay fully committed and find the right partners to work with. With that being said, you have a lot going on. So what do you foresee being the biggest risk either in real estate or your personal journey and kind of getting those uh, seven streams of income? Honestly, I, I'm going to say the cliche thing here, right? Which is, is market, market fluctuations, right? So flipping mortgages, real estate investing to an, a certain extent, this Airbnb income to a certain extent, coaching are all very market dependent income streams, right? Which is a little bit of a concern. That being said, uh, to mitigate that, honestly, I still hold a lot of cash. I, I, I follow Ryan Pineda quite a bit, right? And I, I look at what, what he does. Um, and the guy holds a shit ton of cash, right? But the reality is the more income streams you have, the more reserves and cash you need for each business model, right? And that's something that I've, I haven't done very well. And I'm, I'm trying to essentially turn that around and improve it. Now, the reality is if there is a market cycle correction, I will be buying real estate like crazy, right? Um, I will go into freaking leverage like crazy to buy real estate, right? So I'll double down on it for sure. Um, could also be the biggest risk is also the biggest potential. Like it's the opportunity to get to like a 20, $30 million like, asset on management kind of situation, right? So. Gotcha. Okay. So corrections in real estate, but to offset that you're going to have cash for every single business that you have. And I think that's really, honestly, that's the best approach that people can do. The more leverage you take on, the more reserves you have. And that's just the way it should be, right? You don't want to take on more leverage and have less reserves as you go on. That doesn't make much sense. Um, Second question here is, is that our goals definitely have changed on both sides. Like for myself, we went into that, but for you, I'm sure your goal has changed five-year vision. What does that look like for you? 
Um, serial entrepreneur with multiple businesses. That is essentially the five-year business, uh, five-year goal and objective, right? Um, we can talk about any siloed business, right? And the mortgages, it is to have it grown to a point where my main function is just to talk to my mortgage customers, right? And dealing with investors, I like dealing with the same people over and over and seeing their progress. From a flipping perspective, it is kind of to have multiple people taking care of the flips. Um, so both me and my partner can step aside from that business, right? And just kind of fund it, find the deals, hand it off to the individuals that need to take care of it, right? The uh, the resort Airbnb model, it should be ideally hands-off within two to three years, right? It's kind of our, 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 our focus there. So, you know, multiple businesses handling things from a strategic perspective and having uh, relationships with um, the people that I deal with in the businesses is essentially the five-year vision for myself. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we dived into everything. If you guys <laughs> enjoyed this episode, make sure to, if you haven't followed Mayu, what are you doing? And if you haven't followed me, what are you doing? Follow me too. So follow both of us <laughs> on Instagram, link in the bio below. And make sure, we, again, we want to hit 250 likes or comments on this uh, podcast through Apple Podcasts. So make sure to go ahead and leave a five-star review. Uh, Mayu, is there anything else you want to end off with? No, I think this is a great episode. Hopefully you guys found some value. Um, make sure you guys, like Austin said, drop some love in the podcast, share it on social media, um, send it around to your friends. We're trying to grow this podcast. We're trying to go rise as a whole. And that's one income stream that we don't really talk a whole lot about, but it's more so a business. Is it an we, income stream we, or is it an income loss? <laughs> At the moment, yeah, it's this an is, income this is, where all, this is where all the all the profit goes and it just goes down a hole. Um, but look, like with Rise, like we want to grow the organization to, and this is something that we don't talk about enough, but we want to expand our reach. Um, we don't just want to, you know, stay stagnant, right? I think at this point we've had really good growth. We're looking to expand significantly. So yeah, make sure you guys like, comment, and share it as wide and publicly as you can. And as I always say when we wrap up, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all. <laughs>